0: Okay, well, hi, Pete. It's lovely to be uh, talking to you. And thanks for inviting me for the for the podcast. So the first thing, well, I suppose that would be my mother deciding uh, to send me to a uh, music school at the age of seven, uh, which I did uh, attend uh, in Poznań, my native uh, town. So I spent six, six years studying piano in that school. So that would be the first contact with classical music, really. I didn't know anything about any modern music by then. So I just spent the whole time playing the instrument, really, at this time. My mom's uh, father was a violinist and choir uh, conductor, so probably something, you know, kind of... uh, My mom never played, I think, an instrument except flute, I think. She is very musical, she can still sing harmonies on the spot. Uh, yeah, so she decided to send me and my uh, three younger sisters to, to the same school. I've been recently um, experimenting with teaching music to children uh, in the school my uh, uh, my stepdaughter my aunt, um, attends, and uh, I found that I was kind of shocked by the way kids don't really want to put in time; they just want to have fun which is something I didn't have really. I didn't have the leisure to, to say no, right? It was a music school. It was a very disciplined life. There were many hours of playing every day the instrument. Uh, it was a very competitive place. Basically, the school was created in order to groom people into professional uh, classical players. So we were attending the school as much for the music as for all the other subjects. We didn't go as usually is the case to a normal school and then to music school. The whole school was just one place. And it was Szkoła Wieniawskiego in Poznań, which um, to this day exists and many, many very good musicians come out of it every year. So that was my life, basically. I wasn't really allowed to play any sports that would uh, endanger my hands. So I would play some football, but no basketball. No volley, nothing that would, you know, um, put my, uh, the health of my wrists or, or fingers uh, in peril. I didn't like that very much and uh, thanks to um, my first teachers, um, it went well. I mean, despite my uh, character and kind of, you know, it's tough. I find it very difficult for a child to be forced into such discipline that you need in order to attain that kind of level. Of you know of craftsmanship when you're playing because we're not talking about pop music we're talking classical music which is very demanding and I find that a little bit harsh on the kids but I do understand that if you want to be a classical pianist aspiring to win a Chopin's you know um, competition then you probably do need to put in the hours anyway I really had fun playing but I lacked the uh, sheer um, commitment I think. I was pretty good at it, but uh, it takes real commitment to live through the 12 years of, you know, those before you go to academy to study on. You have to get through those 12 years of real commitment where you don't play outside. You know, you basically do your classes, you do your homework, and then you start playing the instrument, and that's every day. For example, the time I got my wrist badly um, um, hurt because uh, some kids at school turned my arm, arm around and I was out of playing for two months. It was a big deal, right? Because you don't practice, you don't play the exams that were there in June, and I had it like in May, I think. I had to practice, you know, as soon as I got the plaster out, I had to practice on the double during the uh, holiday break. That's something, you don't really have a big break in the holidays, you need to practice the instrument. So it's not like other kids that just go, you know, go by the sea and play in the water, you actually every day more or less you need to practice so the breaks aren't that long. I suppose it happens everywhere except when this happens in a normal school, it doesn't have as much bearing on your, it was luckily I think it was my left hand, which funny enough has been hurting me for the last half a year and I was wondering if that early injury had something to do with this left hand being a bit dodgy over the years. Well, I mean, as you know, uh, Pete, uh, most of the um, jazz modern music doesn't use the left hand as much as the classical one does, because it's just to do with the fact that none of the music is as complex as classical music. It may be just as beautiful, but it isn't as complex. And moreover, uh, given that I'm a film music composer, which basically has to do with ideas more than craftsmanship. Um, Well, it means that yes, my left hand uh, really doesn't get as much use, although it does get used all the time. I mean, I actually have my left hand on the keyboard every time I play. It's just my, the parts are much simpler and um, very often I use the piano to get the ideas down on, on well not on paper, but on door <laughs> in this case, and then I tweak, right? And I write uh, the parts that are played by other instruments. I then use uh, just one hand and I'm controlling controllers, MIDI controls with the left hand. When I was 15, my father uh, suggested I go to a, um, a private secondary school in England, in Brockwood Park. And I went there, I stayed there for five years, did my A-levels like every English student, except the place was a bit different, quite a bit different from a normal school. We were only about 50 students in the school, about four or five students per class. We had no grades. Uh, the only grades we had were at the end, uh, during the exams, obviously, which everybody took. And um, this place had a huge impact on my life really, I mean it was uh, very crucial to my uh, upbringing and understanding of the world, uh, partly due to the fact that it was actually created with this in mind to allow students not only to pursue academic careers and academic subjects but also to um, give us a space in which we can understand ourselves and our place in relationships between people and what the whole thing is about. Moreover, this was my first contact with modern music, as the place had a beautiful 8-track Fostex in a recording studio, professionally built. So going from a normal boy in Poland, straight out of, almost straight out of classical music, I basically fell into the modern music. And I remember quite clearly going through the courtyard of the school. On the first, very first night I arrived, And hearing the drums from far away and asking the student that was showing me around, who was named Satish, uh, Hey Satish, you know, what's that sound? And this guy said, well, uh, well, it's, you know, the band rehearsing in the studio nearby. And I kind of clicked, you know, I knew that was it. Like that was the moment that defined all of my life afterwards. And uh, through the use of um, recording gear and getting to know the microphones and, you know, how to set them up and uh, playing uh, late into the night and playing with the band, obviously a couple of bands, which, uh, yeah, it was really fantastic. It was a big time of discovery for me and self-study really. I had a great teacher, Harsh Tanka, who was my tutor there as well, an Indian teacher who was extremely... uh, uh, well um, trained in in, in many in many things, but um, one of them was sound recording. He was a professional sound recorder before joining the school. So, practically, really up until the levels, which is about nineteen twenty years old, I thought I would pursue a career in physics in order to go in the footsteps of my father, who had a physics, well, nuclear medicine laboratory to be exact, in Poznan, in in the hospital. And I was thinking maybe I could kind of start, you know, doing something like that. He was a physicist, a scientist. It was only I think in the very last year that a friend of mine who finished Brockwood a year before me and went to SAE in London came back to visit us. And he was our bass player in the band before he left. And uh, well I had the occasion to talk to him and asked him how, you know, how it was in the school and he said it was great. It was the best place to be for somebody who loves sound recording and music production. At that moment, I decided that I would want to do that and I started searching for all the options and one of the options was uh, to go live in Paris and study at the same school but in Paris, uh, SAE in Paris. Due to my private situation, then I decided to go there, learn French, and then, you know, uh, enroll in the school half a year later. Paris is an interesting place, really. I mean, as every big, big city, you know, capital city of the big Western countries, it's very diverse, especially in the music scene. Uh, In Paris, due to the fact that uh, France had colonies, The people from those colonies obviously uh, often travel back to France and live there and um, pursue their musical careers as well. So um, all throughout my studies and my early years of internship, being an assistant and engineer after that, I had to deal with people from basically every culture in the world, which was very eye-opening, you know. It basically made me touch on different sensibilities of people, different tones in music, different scales, chords, uh, rhythmic progressions, uh, going, you know, one session would be hip hop and the other one would be some Arabic uh, music or some reggae. And it would just go from day to day. It would be like that for seven years after the school. The school itself was great. It had all the best gear you could imagine: Neve SSL consoles. The studios were properly set up, and we had uh, a lot of practice because the school was practice-oriented. So theory was about 30% for the marks, and practice was the rest, 70%, in order to, you know, to actually finish the school and graduate. It still is to this day much more practically oriented school. I don't know how everything goes there right now but uh, at that time it was really good and the bands would you know come in we would had obviously some theory uh, from really nice guys who are were all sound engineers actually sound engineers which uh, we can't really say for a lot of the uh, higher education institutions at least the government-run institutions which often have people with degrees but not a lot of um, practice in the field I think it's uh, a very simple mechanism that i see every every time i see observe it and i talk about it to everybody who's asking me that question how this works and it's relationships really relationships are at the base of your career and even more so in this job than any other because it's based on how people feel with you how you feel with them and it's obviously to do with your talent and the way you've worked you know, to gather the experience, etc. But really the personality and the relationship you can have with people is primordial. So what happened is at the end of the um, uh, my studies I did an engineering diploma based on a computer program I started writing in, I believe it was C++. It was a database of microphones and my idea was to go around sound engineers in Paris and basically ask them about different mics write them down and then kind of put it into a, like a multimedia library, which was, that was in 1996. It was quite a quite a feat for me. I've never programmed before, so I had to learn that too. What happened is I went to this one studio called Chauve-Souris, which means bat in French. And I was talking to the sound engineer there and the manager, the owner came in and was listening in and realized I'm Polish. And at that moment he said in Polish, basically, I'm Polish too. And that was uh, Leszek Banas, who has become a dear, dear friend for me since, and uh, with whom I really started my professional career after the school. And uh, basically, there was no break. I went, I started working for him while at the school, and carried on for many years. So that was that was the way it happened, and really every step of the way, ever since, was based on relationships of on know, of um, based on knowing somebody. Uh, with whom I built the relationship without really thinking about any career opportunities it would give me. It basically happened by itself over the years. Well, I think it all started with a very uh, curious moment in my life that I remember until now. I have a bad memory for past uh, events, but there are a few like that, you know, that courtyard at school when I heard the drums that stick in my mind. And that was my... uh, my aunt Christina giving me a piece of paper from a newspaper saying that there is a very interesting meeting in Poznan uh, with Jan Ape Kaczmarek, a great composer from Poland who's won an Oscar for Neverland, I believe. And um, Jan had a very interesting idea of getting together uh, composers and talking about a, building a center for music, uh, film music composers in Poland, near Poznan. And so I went there. I went to that meeting and uh, during that gathering we had, a, um, I had like a socializing moment, you know, like in the city center. And somebody realized I was living in Paris, that must have been 2004, I think and realizing one of the other people who were present there and his name is Piotr Mikołajczyk, who everybody knows as Mickey who was uh, well he was a pretty big shot he was a an nyandar for Sony for many years uh, great uh, musician as well and composer and uh, somebody who Jan has worked for Sony while writing uh, music scores for films and he was a, he was a guest uh, at that gathering and so well we got talking you know we realized we live in the same city Far away from poland and we started working and when my personal life changed and um, i was kind of wondering what to do and he was wondering what to do as well um, he said well why not why not just start working in poland on you know on, on in this case film music because that by then i was into that i i kind of switched path like i do sometimes and uh, I was right in the middle of uh, basically developing my uh, film music composing skills. And I've been doing it for a while with my sister Monica, who's a film director. She does great documentaries and I was writing uh, music scores for her. And then when I met Miki, we started working on some songs and some films in Poland. And there came a time, that was I think 2010, when I moved back to Poland. Well, I think probably um, some of the documentaries, which I'm very proud of, uh, which also had some um, awards, you know, uh, on, uh, throughout the years. I think every new film is a, a, is a new achievement. Every time you get this uh, new uh, project and you are asking, or at least I ask myself, how the hell am I gonna pull this off? Uh, it seems like, you know, a lot of work every time and every time it kind of works out. Well, right now it's Archivist, The Archivist, which is a new TV series that's being played uh, every Friday, half past nine, on the main television uh, network in Poland. And it's a crime story. It's a 13-episode series, and uh, that's a lot of work. It's very demanding. It's very uh, satisfying. Uh, The stories are great. and My friend Miki is the producer on that. Up to now, this is probably the... Latest greatest, as they say. Well, my parents live in Poznan, and I visit them very often. And during those years, I was visiting um, at least twice a year or something from Paris. and, um, And on one of the visits, my father's speakers broke, and it was a tonsil. And those who live in Poland know what tonsil is, at least those of my age and your age, Pete. The younger ones wouldn't because the company doesn't exist anymore. But for many, many, many years, ever since before, I think, the Second World War, if not longer, the company was building speakers. And at some point was a huge, huge company which built and exported speakers everywhere in the world. And so um, my father had a model of Townsill. I'm not sure if it wasn't even me who bought them for him. And uh, I... Went to Tonsil in Węjszynia, which is a town nearby where Tonsil was based, near near Poznań, and uh, to talk to them about this. And while I was talking to them, and my speaker was being fixed, they um, asked me, you know, about things about me, myself, and they realized I was a sound engineer. And um, they said, well, they have this little team of three guys who are building um, a prototype active speaker inside tonsil which was very interesting because tonsil was never known for active studio monitors so i uh, got to know them and when the company folded finally uh, a few years uh, later and during that time actually i founded my first um, company limited in in paris and i helped sell those speakers those tonsil speakers they were called i believe ams1 and the brand was tlc pro i think and so I, we sold a few of those in uh, in France. I even was once burgled uh, in my studio, and all the speakers got stolen. So there is the whole story of uh, pursuing the, the the stolen goods, and I, I believe I think I recovered one from a shop. Somebody saw them, phoned me up, and I went there with the police, and we recovered the speaker, the pair the pair of speakers. But uh, in the end, Tonsil folded, and uh, these guys were also wondering what to do. I mean, they loved speakers, they loved building them and designing them. And we got talking, and APS is the brainchild of those uh, of those talks, which was, I believe, in 2006. I think, yeah, 2006. I think I I created Audio Planet in France in 2004, so it was two years later, I think yeah, yeah we've, we've known each other for two years before that and uh, it started dawning on me then that it could be uh, it could be something uh, of an interesting adventure. Little did I know that it would really be much more than a little interesting adventure obviously. but you know uh, luckily we don't know what we get into with these things when we start otherwise we would never have the nerve to, to do it to pull it off. But obviously, you know, during the communist times, uh, while we had the communist times, the West uh, was going forward much, much faster. So I don't know if there is any other company in Poland building active studio monitors. I mean, uh, I don't think so, but I might be wrong, obviously. But in those times, it was like a, you know, completely novel thing to be building active studio monitors, really. Yeah, and this we all, always had, and, and actually many people did continue in that in that direction after Tonsil folded because there were hundreds of people you know working there. So much as you know, in case of uh, of Gdańsk gdynia where where the uh, shipyards were, you know, out of, of out of uh, out of th- those big companies which were huge folding down, uh, came out uh, hundreds of little ones. So same thing happened really with Tonsil. It's very gratifying to be actually part of it. I really feel like I'm more part of it than an essential part. I don't think I'm essential. Essential are the guys who are building them, you know, designing them. I provided the first finances with uh, another friend of mine and that has grown on from, from since then. But uh, the real deal is the people who do the work, really. And I help out any way I can through workshops, through meeting with people, through talking to them. So using obviously the speakers uh, in my studio, inviting people to listen to them in my studio and um, giving them away, you know, during SAE competitions in the world for the students to, to be able to, you know, use them. Because uh, truth be told, we have, we're a very small company. So, uh, you know, compared to Genelec and uh, companies like that, we, we really are tiny. Well, we were toying with the idea of working with Chinese, you know, production facilities to build in larger numbers, but it's just not our thing. I think uh, we prefer to stay smaller, you know, to continue to build boutique uh, and kind of bespoke products, as I think they are. And uh, so we will probably expand somewhat. We would want to, obviously, but uh, not beyond any, you know, unrealistic uh, measures. As you know, Pete, uh, uh, a lot of this has to do with either you being a sound engineer and having a very clear position of sound engineer when there is a producer to a very grey area where the band or the artist comes in and they don't have the producer and you're recording and you want this to sound the best it can and you kind of take on that role. So. I don't think there is a school for producers. I mean, maybe there are some courses for music producers, but most of us really learned it on the spot by uh, just making mistakes really and learning not to make them again or discovering by mistake uh, very often some new interesting ways to produce a sound and uh, make it interesting to the listener. And also a lot of that has to do with um, relationships, back, you know, we're back to relationships, so you're asking me how I do this, well I can tell you how I do it now um, it really starts from a very um, honest talk with the person I'm going to produce, and by production we mean, of course, the artistic production, not the financial production because uh, that get that tends to be mixed up a lot the producer really is a person who, in my mind at least um, is like kind of a guardian angel of the artist, you know. It kind of helps them achieve and beyond their goal, their dream. And uh, let's be honest, for most people, the uh, recording of an album is an extremely tasking uh, process. It's, um, you know, every musician has doubts, every musician has dreams and ideals, and they always want to be better. And our um, role as a producer is to help them through that process and uh, uh, help them get through without getting injured as much, so to speak. So the psychological part of it and the relationship part of it is extremely crucial. I start from that. I want to get to know the artist and talk to them about not necessarily things music related, but just life. Just, you know, seeing where they are at, what they're thinking, what they're feeling, what, um, what do they want to express through themselves, through their creativity, through their songs, lyrics, etc. And it's that knowledge that will help me find and propose uh, ways of uh, achieving their goal uh, in ways that is more, most um, efficient and harmonious with their vision. Unless it's a very, very experienced musician in ways of producing in the studio, which really happens, uh, it is, yes, you're, you're and also I believe that it's good to teach them about everything we do in the studio as much as they want to, obviously. If somebody doesn't want to, then it's fine too. But if they do, and uh, as you know, Pete, uh, we, we spend, and artists spend uh, more and more time producing by themselves, recording their first tracks by themselves, and that knowledge can never hurt, you know, knowing how to use a microphone, how to plug it, choose it, dynamic over condenser. Uh, why not switch you know forty eight volt before pulling the plug out? things like that practical stuff that they need to know how a basic e q works or a compressor, how much you can gain by properly using your microphone as a singer, which is something still nowadays not really being taught and uh, which really defines uh the quality of the recording uh, in the end and I think everybody would agree that in case of the spoken word you know songs right with with uh, a lead vocal uh, in them as opposed to instrumentals it's the most important element in the production i guess i would say that i do not produce uh well for example i would not produce a heavy metal record i mean it's not something that i understand well enough to to be able to do so and i probably wouldn't produce a hip-hop record i would rather produce something that i feel comfortable with that even though it may be uh, taxing my uh, knowledge and my uh, style etc that's fine with me as long as uh, it's not completely outside of my um, uh, my experience and my uh, sensibilities i suppose because i need to be sensitive and feel my way through to the artist find a common language you know common ways of expressing uh, so that what i propose is actually useful to them well I believe it rocks the world. I mean, people dance to it. I've never been to a techno party myself, but uh, it uh, it seems to be a, a, a very important element of music music scene right now. And it actually found its way into um, film music because if you if we listen to a lot of the contemporary films, there's a lot of classical uh, sounding orchestral you know scores being complemented by very heavy electronic you know, kind of sounding uh, backing tracks. And uh, that's what I do too. So, I mean, it's it's a hybrid right now. I think that electronic and techno music uh, has brought that on, basically, In you know, invented a whole new way of, um, of creating music because it really is creating music not as much as melodies but in actual sound. That's different because when you write for classical uh, orchestra, the instruments exist, whereas when you write for uh, write a techno piece, so to speak, you're creating and I saw you create during your workshop and it's uh, quite amazing how fast you went with you know, something uh, quite benign, a recording to a uh, rather complex uh, arrangement and I don't think everybody realizes that uh, it takes a little bit more than just a few loops to, to, to produce techno music, I think. I think one of the main uh, advices would be, in in this case, uh, to estimate how much money they have to spend and uh, divide that into equal parts and spend one half on the speakers and the other half on acoustic treatment. The other solution would be using headphones. I was never a big fan of headphones, but they can work very well. I'm using uh, a pair of Bear Dynamics right now with SonarWorks correction, which I like a lot. It seems to work very well so that's probably the cheapest solution of getting you know a linear response from from a listening environment well you know not everybody is a professional sound engineer right from the get-go so start smaller and build your you know build your arsenal over the years because uh, acoustics can grow with you right you can start with some acoustics then add on you can move them with you you know most uh, most panels like my studio has basically everything can be taken down i've ne- i didn't build my acoustics into the walls so i can actually move in probably two days time or maybe even less you know uh, to a new place so uh, proper acoustics can be done uh, in this way and also they are quite vital in case of uh, using uh, speakers So, you know, we don't really often have a choice of where we produce the actual room. It can be a bedroom, can be a living room, so optimizing this space is is quite important and can be as much as putting a a nice bookshelf, tall bookshelf with books, you know, stuck into it without any glass uh, windows obviously in front that's sitting in the back of you while you're working up front. Providing some, you know, dispersion and uh, into the into the room, and helping you with the acoustics while also being a a bookshelf. I think so. I think so in in a sense that it teaches you uh, a a reference that is going to stay with you for many many years. That unteaching bad habits and teaching new habits and uh, producing is. Uh, has a lot to do with that. It's really you know, a lot of instinctive response from the brain that's been listening to hundreds and hundreds of hours of, of audio, of musicians, instruments, etc. Mm, uh, will teach the brain in a way that uh, will make it difficult to change afterwards. Exactly. And the, th- those, uh, those habits die hard. Well, obviously, as far as APS goes, we always have uh, surprises in store for you, so you can uh, be sure to to get surprised this year. Uh, I can't say much more, but you will get surprised. Uh, pleasantly, I hope. Uh, also, um, as far as my um, writing career, I'm looking forward to more seasons of The Archivist, which I love, of uh, more seasons to come, uh, of the other film series that I'm uh, I'm working on, which is uh, airing three times a week, so there's even more work there. Luckily, I have a growing team of assistants who helps me manage my time and not get crazy. Also, I'm looking forward to producing some more really nice music this year. I, I decided not to do too much, but I will do um, probably four different projects, ranging from solo piano to, let's say, probably pop jazz kind of stuff maybe some stuff uh, some music from me if i get the time to do it finally i'm promising myself to to produce an album of my own uh, music that's not related to film and the material is kind of there so we're we're working on that what else well i have a few ideas about recording and about uh, providing people with adequate space for for not a lot of money in terms of renting that space because as you know studios are are expensive they're a lot less expensive than they used to be but they're still uh, beyond reach and uh, my if, if I can leave you with a little thought that's been going on in my mind for a couple of years now I think that most often people have uh, what, what it takes to build the music and kind of work in the laptops you know they have the 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 computer software they need what they don't have very often is what we talked about which is acoustics and good speakers right they don't often they can't afford them so my idea is to build spaces which provide just that right from the start very good acoustic space a pair of speakers um, a screen and a simple sound card to connect it to the speakers and somebody rents that space with just a laptop they bring it with them and if they need something else we do rent them you know on on per unit basis if they need a microphone or if they need maybe a bigger space to record the drum kit in we will do that way i I was i'm thinking that you know you go into a studio that has 40 microphones if not more a huge space and you just record a vocal say right or an acoustic guitar well in my mind that's a waste of space really waste of uh, equipment and you're paying for for all that equipment though you're not using it so Basically, my idea is stemming out of this, this uh, consideration that uh, there should be a space for everybody and it should be tailored made. So in my mind, it's a 20-25 meter square, a listening room with great acoustics, a pair of good speakers, probably two pairs, knowing me uh, and knowing APS. Uh, it would be APS, obviously, um, and then, you know, they just bring in their laptop. As you know, Pete, most people have laptops and, and they have their own software. Nobody wants to double in in software they don't know. And in this case, they don't need a sound engineer. They just need an assistant who will be there available to be, you know, hired on on hourly basis. And it's often just to, you know, just show them a few things and let them be, right? I mean, that's the way it happens. So um, I'm kind of thinking about that project as well for this year. Uh, it's, a, it's a whole new challenge how to make the uh, instrumental or, 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 or uh, another piece of music for the dancing floor. And I'm sure that you would have a lot to say about that and the conditions obviously as you said are quite different on a, with a PA system than in a studio or even on an iPhone or a pair of earpods. I do, I do agree though, I do meet a lot of people who don't have access to it and that's surprising for me. But I do agree that this is for people who, for example, you know, uh, students from uh, sound schools which have to start somewhere and as you know uh, there are hundreds of them and they don't know where to work because the studios don't take on new assistants. Internship is very rare, but they do have to start. So for me, you know, ideal is coming, coming into this space and saying to uh, another musician saying hey, I want to, you know, start gaining experience and there's this place that's not expensive and we can rent a microphone for not much and uh, it's going to be pretty good and it'll allow you to record some music and for me to hone my skills while doing that i was very surprised pleasantly surprised to see how many people are into that and uh and that they are very um, they're very certain about what they're looking for in a sense that they want to they're looking for quality they're not looking to just make a you know a few beats and, and just uh, be over with uh, uh, They kind of their questions and their attitude kind of transpired, you know, um, eagerness to learn and to, you know, learn from you uh, during those workshops and to, um, to basically make good music. So it's very promising for me because that's, that's what it takes. It takes a real commitment and real um, kind of, um, you know, uh, like a mindset to, to produce good music. Doesn't matter what the style may be in. And I think they have it. It was a very nice, very nice event. And I'm very grateful for being invited. Thank you very much, Pete.